there are upper and lower castes. There are different set subcategories within those castes, and all of them are tied in with the Hindu belief system of superiority and different things like that. Uh, outside of the caste system are the untouchables. They're the lowest of the lowest. And even though socially there has been some progress in this way of thinking, most, if not all, upper caste members will avoid the untouchables. Because, you see, untouchables are servants. Untouchables clean toilets. Untouchable, untouchables carry out the most menial of tasks. Untouchables are servants. And higher castes will not do or associate with what untouchables do. Now, this teaching stands in such contrast, stark contrast, to what Scripture teaches and to maybe what we are accustomed to in this culture. In Christ, we find out that there is no distinction with people. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There are no classes. There are no superiors and inferiors. Even though there may be different functions, all are equally valued by God and by us. But even though the caste system is really popular over in India, I think that we have our own classifications here at times, don't we? We have a way of looking at things a little bit differently. We tend to classify people based on their jobs, based on their abilities. And we call people business executives. Others are part of the helping profession. Still others are considered professionals in their field, while others might be viewed as hourly or contract workers. But even in our culture, many react to the idea of somebody like a CEO of a corporation going into the bathroom and cleaning toilets for other people. Or do something as menial as mopping floors in order to serve others and meet their needs. And what a contrast that is to the very example of Jesus. In one event recorded in John chapter 13, just hours before he was to be crucified, Jesus, the King of heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, performed the lowliest of jobs imaginable in those days. One that was reserved to the servants on the lowest rung of the totem pole within the social strata of that day. You see, back in those days, washing feet was a necessity. You see, they didn't have paved roads like we do. They had dirt roads. The Romans started inserting and, and, and establishing some, some paved roads, but those were such a rarity back in those days. Most of, the, most of the roads were trails that had been carved out by sheep and by, by cows and different things like that. And so these were the roads that everybody traveled on, and the sheep and the cows traveled alongside. I saw plenty of cows in India out in the middle of the road. Sometimes they just get tired and they just plop down on the, on, the, on the ground and people would swerve to avoid them and go different ways. But one of the things that the cows would do 
they would leave some calling cards, if you know what I mean. Okay? And um, they were all over the place. The same thing was probably true back in Jesus' day. Imagine just walking through the roads of Israel. And cows and sheep were there. And you not only stepped in mud, and you not only stepped in, walked in dust, but uh, you also stepped in some other things that were very unpleasant. So at the very end of the day, when you were gathering for a meal, the first thing that would be done would be that a servant would come and would wash people's feet and remove all that filth that had accumulated throughout the day. In John chapter 13, we read that Jesus was gathering with his disciples for the Passover just hours before his crucifixion. The Passover is to the Jews what Christmas and Easter is to us. Very, very special. And it was a great celebration. And they were all gathered in this one room. And yet no one in that group of 13 people saw to it that their feet were washed. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 22, when you end up reading the gathering that takes place, the disciples were arguing and jockeying among themselves, trying to figure out who was the greatest among them. They were trying to see who could get closer to Jesus. They were trying to see who was going to be the most important one when it was all said and done. And they were all arguing about those kinds of things. So much so that they forgot the most basic of needs. Now, folks, isn't that so much like us a lot of times? We tend to get focused on what we want. And we forget to see the needs of those around us. We think somebody else will handle that. And so often, nothing gets done because no one steps up. So often, we forget that what we are called to do is all about Jesus. And in this one event, Jesus teaches us so, so much And I want us to be able to see three things. But first of all, I want to encourage you. Turn to John chapter 13 in your Bibles. You're going to see portions of it up here on the screen. But turn to the entire 17 verses of this chapter. And the first thing that I want us to see is that godly service extends grace and forgiveness. Look at verses 1 through 5. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured a towel, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, folks, we tend to miss something in these verses. 
We've heard this story many, many times, but I think that a lot of times we forget that Judas was in the midst of this group. Judas, the one that was betraying Jesus, had Jesus come around to him and wash his feet. And Jesus knew that this was the guy that was going to backstab him. And that had already done so. You see, folks, so often we attach conditions to our service. We, we decide who it is that we will serve. And we judge whether or not they deserve to be served, don't we? But Jesus served regardless. Verse 1 says that he showed them the full extent of his love. And he showed the full extent of his love even for Judas. And my question today for all of us, and I'm preaching to me as much as I am preaching to you, is who do we need to offer grace and forgiveness to? Just like Jesus was holding it out for Judas. Who do we need to serve? They may respond like Judas did, but... Please understand, we are called to do that regardless. And the decision of what they do with that is up to them. But so often it's amazing to see some of the changes that can take place in a person. Just because someone, in the name of Jesus, offered forgiveness and grace through service. Here's the second thing that I want us to see, and that is that godly service diffuses some tense situations. And you see that in verses 3 through 11. These men were all together, and they were gathered, and they were busy arguing about who was the greatest. It wouldn't surprise me if one of them was pushing the other out of the way and trying to jockey to get that, that seat right next to Jesus. The one that eventually John ended up taking. So when Jesus washed the feet of his followers, I think they probably had been arguing and talking amongst themselves. And then all of a sudden they start noticing what he's doing and everything quiets down. They sit in stunned silence because this was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This This was the one whom they said was the Messiah of God, the anointed one. This is the one they declared to be God in the flesh. And here he was serving them. And I think they were quiet because they were convicted. Convicted by their selfishness, convicted by the fact that the one whose feet they should be washing was washing theirs. The one that they should have been serving was serving them. And Peter was so convicted that he initially refused to wash Jesus, uh, or to let Jesus wash his feet. But Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Jesus basically was saying that the cleansing that he offers is essential for Peter to be united with the Lord. And the cleansing that he offers is essential for us to be united with him. And in Peter's situation, pride was replaced by humility and self-righteousness with submission. 
we live in a very selfish culture. I mean, let's be honest, folks. All of us in this room are selfish, aren't we? We don't like to admit it, but we are. And the American culture seems to encourage that more and more and more because it always says, you get stuff for yourself. You advance your own cause. You be the number one guy and the number one woman. And a lot of times that bleeds into the church. And we focus on what it is that we want and we'll say things like, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that the elder's responsibility? Shouldn't our deacons be doing that? They should be caring for people. That's what they should be doing. I want to tell you that I know all of our leaders personally. And I want to tell you that they do care and they do serve. They probably do a whole lot more than you or I ever imagined or know about, both in and outside of this church building. And I'm proud and I'm grateful to be serving alongside all of them. Last week you gave me a poster and you put some very kind comments on that, on that poster. And as I read them this past week, grateful for all the memories and grateful for all the people that posted, I thought to myself, every single one of our leaders deserves to hear this as it applies to them. But a lot of times churches become critical of their leaders. And that becomes just a a way in which people, instead of dealing with themselves, try to deflect responsibility from themselves and they try to blame others. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that the church is about how effective a few people are when really the church is only as effective as all of us who serve together. Each of us in this room needs to take the responsibility of being a true follower of Jesus and there are no exceptions, no halfways. We're either in or we're out. We're either a fan or we're not a fan. We're fully in. And we need to really focus on the fact that as true followers of Jesus, we serve him by serving others. Whether they have a title or a position of leadership or not. And so the question that I ask you today And that I ask all of us, how are you serving? How are you washing feet? Whether you be within these walls, doing it within these walls or outside of them, ask that of yourself before you ask that of others. Thirdly, godly service is reserved for the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jim Collins has written several books, including the book Good to Great, and uh, Great by Choice, Why the Mighty Fall, and a whole series of other books, Built to Last. And, and, and he's a great researcher who has looked at businesses and corporations 
and he looks at them from a research standpoint and he provides data that tells an awful lot about why companies succeed and why others fail. And one of the things that he has brought out in his books on multiple occasions is that the companies that have a lasting value and that continue to excel all the way through are ones who have leaders who don't call attention to themselves, but rather they effectively serve those who are under their charge, in their charge. And they serve so, so well. You want to know who some of the greatest people in our church are? They're the ones who do things most often behind the scenes. And I'm, please don't, I'm not taking away from our praise band who does an awesome, awesome job. I'm not taking away from Will who serves tirelessly to make things so much better in this church. But the ones who are the greatest ones in God's eyes are the ones who serve most often behind the scenes. And the rest of us enjoy the benefits of what they do, but we rarely notice what they do. As a matter of fact, they'd be very uncomfortable if I had them stand up and try to identify them by name. You see, the ones who are the most effective servants and the most godly ones are the ones who come in here on a regular basis and they pray for your needs that you've posted on the prayer wall. They pray for you by name whether they be here or not. They're the ones who send cards of encouragement. And that encouragement shows up at just the right time. They're the ones who prepare communion for us every week, who see to it that the bills are paid, who go back in the back and count the offering who turn our lights on and off at the right time, who secure the building, who see to it that everything is operational for our gatherings, from the air conditioning to the heating and to the lighting and everything like that, who put together our fellowship meals, who set up and plan amazing details for our trunk or treat that drew six to 700 people this, from our community uh, this past week who are ready at a moment's notice to help in whatever way is needed, who, is, who faithfully, consistently, and quietly care for the needs of yours and my children, teaching them about Jesus every single week and modeling genuine love for them. And folks, the list could go on and on and on. But each of these people serve joyfully and faithfully by serving others. I told you last week about uh, being at the home of the blind and deaf children and how stirring that was for me. I told you about the, how that all started with a, with a pastor going through a train station and finding a child crying over in the corner, finding out that it was blind and bringing him back home and raising him. And then now there are 135 of those blind and deaf children who are not only learning how to live within a culture that rejects them, but they are also learning about Jesus. The man that you can't see very well, but that 
it has the baseball cap on on this picture is that pastor that started it and the pastor that continues to work. And after we had this service where the kids brought in some garlands and put them on the neck as a welcome and everything like that, he started showing me around the buildings. And he showed me the facilities and he showed me the needs and he showed me the dream for expansion and, and everything like that. And after he was done, I listened uh, through an interpreter and was able to hear what was going on. And we went into the main office area and we were talking for just a few minutes. And I just did what was customary over in, what is customary over in India when you want to say thank you. Uh, you put your hands together and do this. And a lot of times people will put their hand on their chest and, and bow a little bit. And I shook his hand. And he responded by doing the very same things that I did. And then he reached down in one fell swoop and just touched my feet. That caught me off guard. Because what that man was saying to me was, I am your servant. This guy that had, was probably more of a servant and had done more in service to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords than you and I all put together. Saying, I am your servant. That's why he was so effective. That's why God was using him in such a mighty way. He was putting into practice the very thing that Jesus taught. When he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's one final thing I want us to consider. And that is that godly service is the byproduct of following Jesus. After Jesus had done all these things with the disciples, and I don't know how long it took, but it probably felt like an eternity for those who were watching him do this and go to each person and wash their feet and dry them. He sat down and he said this, verses 14 and 15. Of John 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I know that there are some believers in some churches that believe that there should be a time in the service, or at least at prescribed Sundays, where the congregation washes one another's feet. And chances are those moments can be very, very meaningful. But the main lesson Jesus leaves us with is far, far greater than just a one-time wash-your-feet type event. It's serve others. You have been called to do that. So have you. 
You have been called. You have been called to do just that because it's an act of love. And the question we should be asking is, how can I love others? I know that there are a lot of people who end up excusing themselves from serving when they say something like, well, it's not my gift. And granted, you and I could probably find some people and identify some people immediately who have a gift when it comes to service, don't you? There are those people that just make you smile every time. There was a lady in Arcadia um, where, I, where I was who just pop in every now and then with a freshly baked peach pie. She said, I just love to cook. And we loved every minute of it, and I gained 15 pounds because of it, you know. But it, but it, was, it was her act of service. She just loved to do that. And you can probably think of somebody else that has done that and been that way to you. But because of them, a lot of times we think, well, serving is not my gift. I have to work at it. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 says, We each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. But just because we may not have the gift of serving doesn't release us from the responsibility that we have to serve others and put them above ourselves. Galatians 5.13 also says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, folks, we're all called to serve. We're all called to serve one another in love because serving is one of those ways in which Jesus can be seen in us. And Jesus served to show his disciples how much he loved them. Verse 1 says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love for others that Jesus died for should move us in the same way. Even if we have a hard time liking that person or liking what they do. Remember Jesus washed the feet of the one who would betray him. But the greatest act of service wasn't washing the feet of the one who would betray him. The greatest act of service that Jesus performed took place on a tree, a rugged cross, as he hung there and took upon himself your sin and mine so that we could be free from it, so that we could know the joy of being loved by a God who gave his all for us, so that we could know the joy of what it means to serve in his name because he served us by doing the unthinkable, the unimaginable. And when we accept his supreme act of service is sufficient to save us from our sins and to sufficient to save us for heaven. It also frees us up to be sufficient to free us up to serve in his name. And we're commissioned to take up a towel and to serve others in love. I love what St. Basil of Caesarea said. The bread which you hold back belongs to the hungry. 
The coat which you guard with your, in your locked stored uh, chest belongs to the naked. The footwear moldering in your closet belongs to those without shoes. The silver that you keep hidden in, in, in a safe place belongs to the one in need. So serve. Serve generously. In Jesus' name, serve. Serve for his glory. Serve so that others might see him through you. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you for the opportunity. The opportunity to live for you and to love for you, to honor you in every way possible. Thank you for being our God. Please forgive us when we replace service with selfishness. Please use us to serve in your name so that others might focus on you. Whether it be to enter into a more personal relationship with you or to know you for the very first time. Please help us to see things from the perspective of eternity and not from the perspective of the here and now. Father, we need you. And we need you to change our hearts and to cleanse them so that we can love the way you've loved. And serve the way you've served. I pray in Jesus' name.